0: Chapter two, verse thirty-seven. Uh, we're looking at going deeper through community, and I want to say this to you, and you know this, but we are all born into a very specific world with groupings of people and environments. You could call this a community. Uh, we have families, which are our most important. We would deem that to be the case. But we also grow up in schools, or maybe you're even in school right now. We have sports teams, we have work environments, we have gyms, which I talk about. (laughs) And of course, we have this thing that we call the church community uh, as well. And you need to know this, we are all drawn towards a sense of community. God made us that way. He made us in a way where we need each other. And whenever we're isolated, it becomes something unhealthy for us because God has put this thing in our hearts that we need each other, not in a codependent sense, but in an interdependent way where we are meant to come together as God's family. In fact, the Bible teaches us that God is our father in Christ and that we are brothers and sisters of one another. This is the reconciliation that God has done in Jesus Christ. Now, you may not like the person to your right or to your left. I'm not judging right now, but they are your brother and your sister, That's just the reality, that's the spiritual, biblical truth, and it's the reality. We may not be doing that well, but it is actually the truth. And the implications of us being a family, the church being a family, are tremendous and that's kind of what we want to explore today. But I think because we live in this world and we have all kinds of scenarios and environments, I think the church can be kind of a strange thing because of, of, the, uh, of the way that we live in the Western world. In fact, I think about this because I have my own little communities just like you do. Like, I have a little community at Starbucks. You know, they know my name. I know their name. They know my drink. I pull up, and they know my drink. And if my drink changes, it's kind of a depressing day. They're like, why did you do that to us? What changed in your life? Tell us. Uh, but we have a little community. You know, we have a little community. And, and then I go to the gym. I go to Planet Fitness because there there's no gym intimidation there. You understand? Uh, it's, the, it's the gym for the rest of us. And I've talked to you about this, and it's just kind of a funny little thing. When I go to the gym, there's a, there's a little community that has formed there. I go usually at the same time, and there's a couple of you I know that you see me there. And, and I'm doing my best, guys. I'm doing my best. But, uh, but when I go there, I nod. I say hello. And I don't have my glasses on, so I can't tell if it's a man, woman, wookie. I don't know. You know, you get mad at me. Pastor Ben didn't say hi. I couldn't see you. As far as I knew, you were a moving machine. I did not know. <laughs> I was like, wow, that bench press is really moving fast. I, I can't see. So my glasses aren't on, but there's this little community, and, and I'm getting to know more people at the gym. We're starting to talk a little bit. We're sweating next to each other, it's kind of awkward. But we all kind of have this, and I started thinking about this kind of like funky little thing that, that, that I'm a part of, and I did some research on Planet Fitness, because I'm just, I like to inquire about this stuff, because I just, I look around, and, and I wonder like, how many, how, how much money does it take to run this thing, and how many people are a part of it? And so I asked the guy, I've told you this before, but I asked the guy, how many members do you have at Planet Fitness? And he said, really, like our positive cash flow quota, like numbers, like, Often it's like we want like 9,000, 10,000. But when I read this really interesting article about Planet Fitness, and they're they're like the number one gym in America. I mean, they're just rapidly growing. They had this vision to cater to the 80% of Americans that do not have a gym membership. And uh, I think they started out like most gyms, like we really want people to be healthy. But it ended up (laughs) the business person got a hold of it and said, we really need to make money. And so they built this brand and they catered to the 80% of Americans that don't have a gym membership and they lowered the price enough to where if you have a gym membership and you don't go, it actually won't be a conviction for you to close your gym membership because it's not costing you that much money. And so every Planet Fitness has like 7,500 people that are members. But when you go there, there's 50 people and they kind of change out like twice a day. So there's maybe 10% of the people that have a membership that are actually attending it. And I think you know where I'm going, but I started to think about how they have developed this environment where you can be part of something without participating in its purpose. Did I hear an ouch? What What was going on there? You can be a part of something without participating in its purpose, And the more I read about this gym, the more I realized that Western Christians engage the church this way quite often. Many members, some occasionally attend, but only the most committed are going to benefit from its environment. Isn't that how it works? And it's no wonder why the church is optional or insignificant today because this is why, because we treat it as something other than what it is. If you're a part of something without participating in it, you're a member of it, but you don't treat it the way that it is, so you don't benefit from its purpose. Isn't that amazing? And so if we are going to become this family-like environment that God has called us to, this, this most important community above all these others that we have in our life, if that's actually going to be true of us, it will require an intentionality that this world is not teaching to us. Church is something we go to instead of what we belong to. We are members of one another. And so in Acts chapter 2, there's a familiar passage that gives us a window into the genesis or the beginning of the church. And although we can't follow the same pattern in some of the things that we see there, because it was a long time ago, there are principles that I think are rather important. So here's what's happening in Acts chapter 2. Jesus told his disciples to go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise, which was the Pouring out of the Holy Spirit. They did that. The Spirit of God was poured out. They begin to have supernatural things happen. And all of a sudden, this is during the time in Jerusalem where there's a feast, and now they're preaching the gospel. In fact, Peter stands up and he starts to preach the gospel powerfully, effectively. And the people around are asking, what are we gonna what should we do in response to, to all of this that is happening? And, and here's what we read about as the people respond to that very thing. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, "'Be saved from this perverse generation.'" So then those who had received the word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 people. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles' All those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread, and from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot here to unpack and so I just want to start by, uh, with a simple point. Biblical community starts with conversion. Becoming part of God's family is not complicated, but it, but it does require a life change. There's this sentiment, that today you can belong before you believe. And, and the reality is the Bible doesn't teach that. I know what we're trying to say. We're trying to say that people can feel welcome, and that's true Um, I was not a believer when I was 19, and and I came to Christ. And so I'm glad that Christians reached out to me and shared the gospel, and I felt invited and welcomed, but I wasn't part of the family yet. And I knew that. I felt a sense of disconnect. And so it does require a conversion, a life change, to enter into God's family. And I'm not just talking about being a member at a church. We're talking about being a son or a daughter of God. And so the same thing that causes us to be part of God's family, of His church, is the same thing that causes us to be born again. There were three responses that Peter said to those who were asking, what should we do? And the first thing that they did is they repented from their rebellion and sinful living. Now we've talked about repentance. We are following our own way in this world. And when God calls us to follow him, we have to repent. We have to change our mind and change our direction from following ourselves and we have to turn to him, put all of our faith in him so that we're following what he says and where he goes. We have to repent. In the Western world today, sometimes people will preach half of this, and that is the problem. If you omit repentance from the response to the gospel, you will not find the results that the Bible talks about. You cannot believe in Jesus and follow yourself. You will not find the Bible to come alive in your life. That's why repentance is essential. The second thing is they put their faith in Jesus Christ as their only Savior and Lord. And this is how it works. You repent from your sin, and now you put all of your faith in Jesus as your Savior. He forgives us of our sin. He forgives us of our past. He brings us into right relationship with the Father, and He becomes our Lord. He's a Savior in that He saves us from, but He's our Lord in that He leads us toward. This is what he does. And when we put our faith in him, entirely in him, this does not mean that we mentally agree that he's a savior. It does not mean that we mentally agree that he's God's only son. It means that we put our whole life in his hands. That's, that's what it means. The third thing, they were baptized as an outward sign of an inward reality. Did you notice how it says 3,000 people believed, but then they were baptized? Can you imagine what the water looked like after they baptized 3,000 people? One time we baptized almost 100 and the water was dark. It was full of COVID and everything else that you can imagine. I'm pretty positive that's where all of those viruses come from. And if you're in the tank after about 15, 20 baptisms, the only thing you want to do is get out of the tank and then, of course, rejoice with everybody that was baptized. But it says they baptized 3,000 people, and I find this fascinating. Water baptism was not a ritual. It was an obedient response to Jesus, and it represented several things. It represented death to the old way of life, cleansing from all the effects of sin, It represented new life when we come up out of the water. It's indicative of the truth that we have been raised with Christ and Jesus paid for our life eternal. And it also represents our identification with Christ and his body. Whenever you lead someone to Christ that comes from the Muslim faith, particularly our friends in the Middle East, when you come out of a Muslim faith and you're water baptized, You know that that means you are being ostracized of your old community, and you are now not just being water baptized, but you are being immersed into a whole new family. You are leaving behind what you had. It isn't a choice of theirs, it's the reality of their life. That's why when people come to faith in Christ out of another religion, they have to seriously think about what they're doing. And that baptism is a very big deal, it's not an option, it is a statement. And there's spiritual warfare attached to that. See, everybody can be a part of God's family, his community, but repentance, faith, and baptism was the entry that we see in the very beginning of the church starting. And it says this, we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And that even means our community. This is the most important community that we're a part of. How many of you have ever found this to be the case, that your church family, as you become committed and connected, it becomes closer to you than your blood relatives? Some people feel guilty about that. It isn't because we don't care about, I mean, I've got, we've got family, but because I'm on mission with you, because I'm doing life with you, because I'm following Jesus and serving him with you. All of a sudden, you guys have become my mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters. And that's normal. In fact, it's biblical. That is what it talks about. And so whatever identities that we had, they become secondary to now who we are in Christ and with his His people. The second point is biblical community grows through commitment. Commitment. Verse 42 is power-packed, and it talks about how the early church continually devoted themselves to at least five practices. Now, certainly there were more that began to grow in this church, but what we see is the lifeblood of this growing community were these things. And the first one was they were devoted to learning and obeying the Word of God. It says the apostles' doctrine. Well, the apostles' doctrine now has become what we have in the canon of Scripture, It was being said to them, now we read it today because it's recorded. And when a church ceases to have the Bible as the centerpiece of who they are, they are no longer a church. We are following someone and we have a manual that tells us what it is that we are, who it is that God is, and what it is that we do. It's not just subjective, however we feel or whatever we want to do today. No, we follow the scriptures. And the truth is, if we want biblical fruitfulness, we have to have biblical faithfulness. So this is who we are. They gathered around his word and so do we. Number two, they were devoted to building family-like relationships. There's this word fellowship there. Fellowship means to share, contribute. It means that we have joint participation, and in their culture, they had communal living. Now, I'm not gonna sell you on the condos that the church bought. Hey, guys, we bought 100 condos. Go ahead and sell your homes and everybody's moving in together. Doesn't that sound like an awesome proposition? Sounds like a cult, doesn't it? Kind of. <laughs> it's not bad. Some people do that. I think that's, that's wonderful. And we would find out just how spiritual we all are. <laughs> you ever live with someone and you're like, I thought you were cool. I thought you were great. I thought you were kind. And then I live with you and I thought I was wrong or maybe it was that you weren't who you thought you was. Amen. It's funny when somebody thinks everybody else is the one that's wrong, and then they stand in front of a mirror and realize, oh, (laughs) I got problems too. They had communal living. They lived together. They ate together. I mean, they went about life together. And this is obviously something that we're not gonna be able to do necessarily, of course, but it doesn't mean we won't do life together even if we don't live together in the same way. But what we do know is that it wasn't about attending, that it was about belonging, a people that receive and give to one another. We are contributing to each other's lives, shaping each other and helping each other to grow. I thought there was a statistic when I thought about fellowship and how when we're in a bigger church, that it can be a little bit harder. Maybe if you've ever said this or thought it, it's hard to connect here, Pastor Ben. It's hard here to grow in friendships. Actually, I wanna validate that. That's, you're not wrong, nor are you crazy. It can be hard. I would say the older you get, the less interested you are in gaining more friends. <laughs> it feels to me like um, you get fixed in life unless you're new to a particular community um, or maybe you're new to this area, and then you, you do have a need to grow in friendships. But sometimes when I talk about this, not everybody's that interested because they're like, man, I can onboard another friend if I tried. So, But I think it's vital to know that when you're part of a big church, it is a little bit harder. And I want to give you some statistics that will help you understand the the church that you're a part of. LifeWay Research came out with a, a statistical study this last November, this sort of like a post-COVID a document for us, and they said 31% of all churches in America are under 50 people. I just want you to think about that. 37% are 51 to 99. That's 68% of all churches in America are under 100 people. 24% are between 100 and 249 people, and only 8% are over 250 people. 8% of all churches in America are over 250 people. How many do you think are over 1,000? Maybe 2%. So we're like 1,500 people. We are in a very strange section of the American church. I went to a meeting for our denomination, and it was a meeting for pastors who had larger churches over 500. And I asked them, how many churches, of all the 1,500 four-square churches we have, how many churches over 500? And there was maybe, maybe 50 to 60 and I said how many churches do we have that are over 1000 and they said maybe 20 to 25 something like that We are in the top like 1% of Not only our churches in Foursquare, but in America. So if you ever feel like it's hard to connect, you're not wrong. It is a little more difficult, which means we have to work harder at organizing so that we can feel smaller and build connections and community. What it also means is that each one of us have a responsibility to take steps because there's no way that you're just going to fall into it not in a church this size. It just won't happen. No matter how well we organize, no matter how well, how many great things we offer, there is no way that anybody's going to fall into a good relationship with God. You're not going to fall into great relationships with others, and you're not going to grow by default. It won't happen. It requires intentionality and organization at this level. And I'm saying that because you just need to know what you're a part of. When I was a part of a smaller church that was 60 people, it was a lot easier. Guys, can I just tell you, it was a lot easier for everybody. It was like, hey, what small group are you going to go to? We had one. (laughs) You didn't have to, like, choose. There was no Rolodex, like, la, 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 I wonder where I'm going to go tonight. No, it's Wednesday night. You're either going or you're not. It's like, oh, I wonder. (laughs) There was no, like, women's group, men's group. It was a group. It was just a group. We called it the small group. That was all we had. Which outreach am I going to go on this summer? The outreach. <laughs> Everything was preceded by a the. It was never a or one of. We didn't have any of that, you know, and I just think that we don't realize at times why we feel disconnected because it requires more intentionality on, on our part. If you want to get mentored, you got to ask for it too. You got to take a step. You got to sign up. You got to register. You got to do something and then you got to stick it out, Right. You don't go to one class and go, well, that wasn't so great. Go to all of them. You know, I'm going to tell you, I write books. And I always tell people the best chapters are in the back. Because some of you that don't finish books, you're not going to get the best stuff. See, it's like, it's not just starting, it's finishing. And so how do we have fellowship? How do we grow in this? Well, there's a certain level of intentionality for us to be able to do this together. And as we do that, friends, we'll have the life-giving relationships Um, that God has called us to. Look what Jesus said, because we can't impose fellowship on each other. It just doesn't work that way. I can't force you, make you, and you can't do the same to anybody here. But look what Jesus said in giving us a beautiful picture of what we can become. He said to his disciples in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Stop right there. I want you to love one another. Now, we're awesome at saying, I love you, but it doesn't look like anything. Don't say amen, but just in your heart say it. We're awesome at saying, I love you as we depart or we get off the phone or we transact with each other when we see, but it doesn't necessarily have to look like. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Now you got to think about the implications of what that means. How did Jesus love his disciples? Well, let's start with he spent time with them. Let's start with sacrificing for them. Let's start with he was mindful of them. He was thinking about them. They were before him. He was a servant to his disciples. I mean, it didn't start with what, they, with what he got from them. It started with what he gave to them. He said, I want you to mimic what I modeled. But look what he says after that, that you also would love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus did not say that people will know that you're Christians, people will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for God. He said it's the love that you have for each other, which will be the example and the model that will cause people to see something in you that they don't see out there. That's what he said. And so this is a vital part of our our community. Number three, they were devoted to receiving communion. It says breaking of bread. Bread. Now, this was not a typical meal. When it says the breaking of bread here, it's referencing the body and the blood of Jesus. It's talking about us gathering around the crucified and risen Lord, that his body was broken and his blood was shed. And when we gather together, we receive communion because he's the common denominator of this community. And they did it house to house. They didn't just do it in large gatherings. They did it in smaller settings because it was the thing that brought them all together. It was Him, it was Jesus. So you can see why why that's important. And it's vital for a community to gather around not just some ritual, but the communion elements are representative of who He is and what He's done for us. It's powerful. So if you ever tune off when we receive communion, I want to encourage you. And in the book of Mark, we're going to get there at the Last Supper. And and it's far more than just a little, (laughs) than the thing that we, it's more than that. We have to organize it, guys. I almost apologize, but I still believe it's powerful. It is no ritual. There's a reality attached to us receiving communion together as we gather around Jesus. Number four is they were devoted to corporate prayer. Oh, I love talking about prayer. They were a people that constantly prayed. I taught through the book of Acts one time And as I was reading, just reading it again and again, and I was studying it and I was looking, it seems like every single chapter you find the believers praying. They believed that God would move in power. They just did. And they needed him to. They prayed and they prayed. And when you read the chapters of the book of Acts, you find very clearly that as they prayed, miracles, signs, and wonders were released. Damn we understand that it's not rocket science but if we pray God will move you say well Ben we prayed for healing last week nothing happened to me nothing happened yet we are resilient people we ask and we keep on asking we seek and we will find we knock and the door will be opened and Jesus even teaches in Luke 18 that there is a place for us to occupy that's called persistence and we're so persistent in the world aren't we I mean, people, some, of you, some of you have gone to school for seven, eight years for your vocation. I mean, there are things that we have done. Some of us, we have a hobby. You guys like golf, a couple of you. <laughs> I gave up like the first day. People have offered to give me clubs. I'm like, the only thing I'm going to use with these clubs is something that you're not supposed to do. So please keep them. Because I swing and it's a miss. You understand? I like baseball, basketball, and UFC. I'm not, <laughs> I am not good with this thing. I mean, you, how much effort and time and tenacity and persistence do, you, do we put into sports? Man, we want to take that energy and put it into praying. To a mighty and a holy and a righteous God who cares about the things that are happening in our life and in our world. And so I encourage you toward that. I mean, we started, we put these prodigal boxes out here. I've told you the story. You obviously know this, most of you. We started praying prayers that were like, we couldn't make this happen. So I started praying, Lord, I pray that you would send young people back to our church that used to go here, that no longer do, and maybe they either deconstructed, or they just walked away from the faith, or maybe they got hurt. I don't, I don't know how that happened. I remember I walk in one Sunday at the 9 a.m. service. There's a young man out here, and if you're out there right now, because there's a lot of TVs showing my face right now. If you're out there, I love you and I'm not going to drop your name, but I walk in, and there's this young man, and, he, and he's, he's almost sleeping on one of the chairs in the lobby, and I start talking to him, and I asked him what his name was and where he's from, and he said that he used to go to the junior high and high school here at Northwest Church. Friends, I just want you to know, we were praying that, and in my mind, I'm like, we've been praying for you. I didn't say that to him. It's kind of creepy. I didn't say it, but <laughs> Like two weeks in, we're praying. We're praying, God, set this audacious, crazy prayer. Send people back, Lord. Set your love on them. Reveal Jesus to them. Show them who you are, Lord. They walked away, but they, maybe they didn't walk away from you in their heart, but there's something in them that you would draw them back. I walk in, and I'm talking to this young man, and he starts telling me, yeah, I used to go here years ago. And I said, well, what made your way back? And he goes, I just woke up this morning, and I thought, hey, that church is down the street. I should probably go there. And I thought... Amen. I didn't use the creepy voice. I promise. I didn't. (laughs) I didn't use it. I didn't. I I didn't. I want. It's a nice voice, isn't it? It's really good. All right. It's like if you're a guest here, like I don't. I don't want to come back. I don't think so. (laughs) Go to the ministry fair. Uh, Prayer. Prayer. I'm a living, breathing miracle because people prayed. God heard them. How many of you know that there were people that were praying for you, and you didn't just fall into coincidences, you fell into divine circumstances? I thought someone was chasing me. I thought someone was following me. I thought Google was recording me. They might be. Somehow I fell into circumstances where things naturally were not the cause of of what I was experiencing. God was after me. He was after a drug-addicted, sexually immoral kid who was angry at the world. He just chased me. He just, he didn't take no for an answer. He just was, God was tenacious after. And there were people praying for me. And I just want to tell you, we can't give up. God gives up on no one. And he calls his church in prayer to latch on and say, I'm going to call upon God. I'm going to put their name in front of him until he answers, until something changes. That's what we're talking about in prayer. That's why I'm gonna put more boxes up here, probably. Just put them right in front of your face. I'm doing it for me. We've got thousands of prodigals that have walked away from God. And we we probably should put 10 boxes. I don't care how pretty everything looks, maybe we should put 15 boxes up here just to remind us that there are people that are not here that we love and we are praying for them. Can't control this stuff, but we want God to move powerfully, and He does. Number five, they were devoted to sacrificial giving. It says they were selling their property and possessions and sharing with all. I'm not going to have you lay your house on the altar today. I don't even know how you would do that. If anybody walked up to me with a deed, I would say, just keep it. What do you do? That's, no, don't do that. This is what they did. They recognized that when people came out of their previous family and community and they came into the family of God, some lost their homes, some were ostracized. They had nowhere to live. And so when they sold their properties, the reason that they were doing that was because they were offering their homes and their family to those that had lost everything for the sake of Christ. But didn't Jesus give that promise? He said, whatever you lose in this life, you'll have even more brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and homes and fields. It starts to make sense when you read this in the book of Acts. How did they gain all that? Was it the prosperity gospel? <laughs> I think not. You will not find that in the book of Acts, but what you will find is the believers inviting everyone in. Hey, you can have a seat at my table. Hey, we've got an extra place for you to sleep. There was something about saying we're family and it it costs them. The third part is biblical community multiplies through the power of God. If we want fruitfulness, we have to have faithfulness. If we want the power, we have to have the prayerful, and friends, we don't have miracles without mountains. (laughs) And so wherever these things are in our life, we realize that if we stay devoted to the right things, God will bring about the miraculous and the supernatural. Here's what they experienced. First, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. It says, signs and wonders. That's what verse 43 talks about. They were performed as the apostles prayed, and everyone saw this. They saw what was happening. And, and the second part is they experienced the supernatural favor of God. It was like everyone wanted to be a part of this community called the church. They were seeing miracles and signs and wonders and sacrifice and giving and love and people in each other's homes and breaking of bread. I mean, they saw all this. They were like, how do we become a part of that? And that's when the gospel was presented. Well, you, you have to come to know Christ. It's not just about having a good group. We're not an eagles club. We're the church of the living God. We're brothers and sisters. He forges us together by his spirit. They also, thirdly, experience supernatural growth. It says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, this is so powerful. They went from 120 to 3,000 in a day. That would be fantastic. I mean, just fantastic. What a problem that would be too, administratively. (laughs) Martina would go crazy. (laughs) our administrator's like, hey, Martina, we, uh, we've got 3,000 more people that we've got to sign up for the uh, new believers class. We need a new building. <laughs> no, we'll just do it outside. That's what we'll do. Can't afford a new building. By 200 AD, scholars tell us that there was probably 150 to 350,000 Christians. By 350 AD, you can't, it's, it's incalculable at that, at that point that There were millions, and today, you know, the last statistic I read, 2010, was they estimate two billion Christians. Now, some people say, are those really Christians? I don't know, but there's a lot of people today that are Christians. I don't know if you see the multiplication, but it started in a room of 120 people, and here we are today. We're 10 times that, just our own church today. I mean, that's just fantastic. This is what God does by His Spirit. Well, but there are hindrances to biblical community, isn't there? You say, well, Ben, all of that stuff is awesome. They did a great job, uh, but I've got some issues. <laughs> and you're right. I, uh, just by illustration, I thought this was kind of funny. All of us in our family, we have two girls, two ladies, and we have two boys. <laughs> Call us boys. Two boys and two ladies in our home, we used to have four men and two women. God help us, Lord, help us. And now we have two and two. And so we wash all of our clothes together like all of you. We don't have like separate loads. Maybe a couple of you do, you're real picky. That's fine. that be you. But we wash all of our clothes together, conserve energy and water. We just do that. And I wear undershirts, and so I, I pull out my undershirts and I put them on every day, and it's like every time I do, I feel like I find one of these hairs. It's like a bow and arrow, you know, <laughs> I just, um, and let's just face it. It's not mine. <laughs> let's just face it. When I get my haircut at sports clips, I love all the ladies there, but they, they actually, they, when they want to be kind to each other, they're like, you can have Ben. They're like, no, you can have Ben. I've actually heard them say it because I'm 15 minutes and I tip well, you know? So they like arm wrestle over me because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like the, the highlight of their day, you know? Some of you have great hair. You've got great hair. I've got no hair. And so I know this is not mine, guys. I'm like, this is... And then like pull one out of my back. I'm like, that was not on my back. It was on my shirt. Isn't it amazing that when you... <laughs> I don't know who's laughing, but you needed that. You did, yeah. Let it go. Just let it go. Let it go. Um, sometimes when you pull things together, even with an effort to be clean... You end up with somebody else's stuff on you. (laughs) That's what family's like. To get to the beauty of a thing, you you have to go through the burdens too. And so here we are trying to clean everything, but then you end up with somebody else's stuff on you, and it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. I've just gotten I've just gotten used to it. I love I love women, I love our women, okay? It can get more messy. We can have hindrances, is is my point. So number number one, our family history maybe we had an upbringing that was painful and our family context brought more hurt than help that that can be the case so it's hard for us to engage and connect that can be the case i want to encourage you though that god can bring healing even when there's been hurt but that also leads me to my second point maybe you come and you have a church history that was not awesome and let's face it we have church wounds a lot of us leaders fall into sin we have bad experiences Some of us were lied to, taken advantage of, and we've seen terrible practices in the church. I'm not going to shy away from that. I want you to know that I've experienced church wounds too. Every now and again, I'm talking to someone who wants to remind me that the church has hurt them, and they're surprised by my answer. I'm like, I know, hurt me too. Because it's like I kind of represent something that they have disconnected from. You know, it's them and you're one of them and I'm not and I'm like if you name the name of Jesus use one of them too and and I am and I've been hurt by this thing called the church, and it's not an entity, but it's people that call themselves Christians. I've been hurt, too. Have you been hurt? You got, we got church women, and we bring those into this community, and we're trying to figure out how to have relationships, and as we do that, we have these setbacks. We have these hindrances, like, I don't know if I wanna trust again, because when I did with those that said they were followers of Jesus, here's what happened. They lied to me, and so what happens is is that becomes our prison if we're not careful. Now, I want, I want to say I want everyone to be healed, but we also can't let those hurts and those hang-ups incarcerate us. We, we have to trust again. Can I tell you today, trusting again is worth it. Trusting again is worth it. I would rather be hurt again than not trust again. That's just where I'm at. And uh, my words that I just shared with you will be tested. It's true. Number three is our cultural example. We we in our world today have superficial relationships that usually just center around around benefiting us. Consumerism, I mean, it's all about you and I being being and getting everything that we have coming to us. And apparently that's everything. Sometimes we don't wanna be around people that disagree with us. It's really nice to know. Like, I wanna be in a church I want to be with a church community where everybody has my same politics, they have my same preferences, they have my same feelings and opinions and thoughts on everything. You're not even going to be able to marry someone like that. (laughs) It's not going to happen. You can think it happens, but it isn't going to happen. And we change too, by the way. I don't want you to ask my wife about that, but we change. And I'm not saying that there isn't non-negotiables. I'm not saying that. There are things that we want to ground ourselves on in the Word of God. But the nuance is we have to have a level of tolerance, and I mean this in a positive sense, where we know where the goalposts are, and there's a lot of room in here. And if we don't have any grace and we don't have any room, then we're looking for an echo chamber and we're looking for copies of ourselves, which is unrealistic at best, harmful at worst. And so you can be in a church community for five years and then you're talking to somebody who says, you know, I believe this. And you're like, I got to leave this church because they all believe. This. No, that was Tom. And he was feeling a certain way. Tom, I didn't mean you, Tom. I didn't mean you, Tom. I got to pick a name that nobody has. Like a crazy name. And then one of you will name your children that. Anyways, all right. It's my dilemma. And so we do this, right? We have these cultural things. We have these issues. And so it's like, we don't realize often that God in his church and with his community and with his family, he wants to bring us into unity, even though there's diversity. And this cultivates a healthy spirituality in our life. He doesn't even make one snowflake the same. God loves diversity. He loves it. This is so important to the Lord, or he would not have made us the way that he did, and so we have to love it as, as well. And we can't be hung up on some of these minor issues. You know, I, I'm, I'm just baffled sometimes by how we allow that to happen. And, and let, me, let me tell on myself instead of like act like I'm blaming other people. I have had to constantly be delivered out of being dogmatic. I'm a part of a group. <laughs> I am Ben. <laughs> and I get picky on things that shouldn't matter. Moving quickly, I have (laughs) personal obstacles, how we feel about ourselves. We bring that to this community, don't we? You have a spirit of rejection, maybe. You feel rejected, and you project that onto everybody else. What do they think? How do they feel about me? Most people don't think about you. My dad said that to me a long time ago. He said, Ben, here's a secret. I don't remember how he said it, but this is what I remember most people don't go to sleep with you on their (laughs) minds. I was like, well, I hope my wife does. (laughs) Other than that, it shouldn't matter. So we carry these wounds. We have a critical spirit. We can hardly stand like just being in an environment without having something to say about someone. We lack a generosity and a love and just trying to understand people. Haven't you found this to be the case that Whenever you judge someone, you often later, if you get to know them better, you realize that you misjudged them based on what you didn't know. It makes you feel bad, doesn't it? I mean, if, you have, if, you, if your heart is, is open, it makes you feel like a sense of, man, I was, that's terrible. I just feel like every year I, I, I stack names and, and, and folks that I've done that to, and it's like, I wish I learned I still don't, and I need God to humble me. And so it should be a regular prayer. Lord, show me what I can't see. Help me to love people that I'm missing. Help me to lean toward those that maybe even rub me the wrong way. You know what is cool about sandpaper is that um, the sandpaper's rough, but the thing that it's sanding is also rough, and one of them's gonna get smoothed out I would like to live my life as the one that whenever I'm rubbed (laughs) with the grit, I'm the one that gets smooth. I would like that to be my life and my heart. But if I'm the opposite, if I'm the sandpaper, (laughs) it's probably not as healthy. And I will admit that I've been more of that than anything else. And if you're like me, just go ahead and say amen. Amen. God's helping you. Another amen. amen. All right, that was less, but that's all right. Everybody can see this table right here. Um, I don't know if you hated the fact that I bought this instead of the traditional pulpit. So if you're a traditionalist, you're like, you might be in your mind, you've accepted it now, but uh, I like it because it's got a lot of space and it's really heavy. I can rock this thing around and it's all good, you know. But I bought this, it was $225. I got a steal on this thing. It's actually a restaurant table, if you really wanna know. I got it from like some restaurant depot and I was like, this would be an awesome pulpit. When I bought it, it was in two cardboard boxes, multiple pieces, screws and everything. It was just a ton of pieces. And I took it out of the boxes and it was scratched up. You can't see this, but it's banged up right here. It's scratched up here. It was missing screws. And I'm pretty sure that the instructions were in a language that I don't read. I trying to know, but I'm pretty handy. So I put this together myself. We bought, we bought two of them. This is for my sermon illustrations over here. And I'm like leading you into like behind the scenes with pastor Ben, but, (laughs) but when I got this, it was just pieces and it took a lot of work and intentionality to make it one thing. See what you see is one thing, but when I got it, it was a lot of pieces. It was a lot of parts and there were missing parts. There were issues, there were scratches, there were bangs, there were bruises, but I just put it together anyway. And I thought, you know, for this to be one thing, it took a lot to bring that together, but it would be strange if I just had a bunch of pieces up here and, the, and, the, and, and they didn't seem to have purpose, but when you bring them together, it seems like their purpose makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And, and you know, that's what God is doing with the body of Christ. We come into community as pieces as individuals. And by his spirit, he wants to make us one so that he can use us together. That's what God wants to do. And and you know what's funny about it? All you got to do is yield. (laughs) I mean, these things did not cooperate much with me other than the fact that I just screwed them in, nailed them in. Can you imagine yourself? All you got to do is yield. Ow. (laughs) Ow. And now you're too close to me. You're together. You're going to feel friction. You're going to feel things as we come together. Yeah, it's normal. You're going to be known. My life is so exposed. I mean, everybody, it's like everybody knows everything about me. And, you know, I've come to love it. I want to live in the light. Sometimes it's just an easy thing to say. Like, you know, it's so hard to connect to a church. And that can be true. But sometimes we don't want to live in the light, too. I've learned that. Sometimes we don't want all that we are to be exposed to other people because if that were to be the case, maybe we wouldn't like what would happen as a result of that. But I just want to tell you that as we walk in the light, the light of God shines on our life, we get better. We get cleaner. We become more like Jesus. I just don't think you can do it sitting at your home alone, just reading the Bible by yourself. The Bible's got to come alive in us, And we've got to become a family together. And when that happens, we love one another, we serve one another, we forgive one another, we become one with each other. And that's beautiful in all of our diversity and all of our differences. And you're saying today, and I know what you're saying, you're saying, Ben, what is my next step toward biblical community here at Northwest Church? Well, first, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you have to become a Christian. You have to yield your heart to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is a decision that only you can make. It is the best decision. I preach that unashamedly, but we have to say yes to Jesus and give him our life. If you do that, you enter into God's family. Nobody has to put their stamp of approval on you because Jesus already has. The second thing is get water baptized. If you have not done that, to publicly identify with Jesus Christ and his family, You're in covenant relationship with him and with each other. And the third thing, and I'll just stop here because I have to close, is that commit to consistent participation, fellowship in the life and the ministry of the church. I can't have you live in my home and I can't live in yours. I mean, we could do that, we will not. But I do believe that we need to grow together in a way where we're doing more life together still. And you can't do that without consistency. You can't do that without consistency. We're on mission together and serving to me is one of the best ways to do that. If you don't have a place of serving here, it doesn't just have to be in the church, but if you don't have a place to serve here, I'm telling you, this is how we grow in more relationships. It really is. And I wanna encourage you toward that, not just because I'm a pastor and we're a church and this is what we want for everybody. We We don't need everyone to do things we want them to. I just believe, that we grow together as we serve together because we're on mission with Jesus for his glory to build up the body of Christ and to further his gospel and his kingdom in the earth. And I wanna encourage you toward that. What's one step that you can take to grow in community and in serving with the body of Christ to be more one that we would be more useful to him together than we were last year? growing in community. Would you stand? Let's pray today as we close and then just run into the gym. And no, I did not plan it this way. I did not plan all these things. I'm not that great. Thank you, Lord. Would you do this? If you're able, just hands out to the Lord, just whatever God has. Lord, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. We receive all that you have. Lord, I pray that if there's anything in me or if there's anything in us that is hindering what you want to do as we grow together as your family, God, I pray that you would show it to us and you would help us with it. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you as Savior and Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you would touch their hearts and show them that you desire for them to be in relationship with you. And our sin needs to be forgiven conversion can happen, but it's not by what we do. It's that we yield to you and you do the work inside of us. You give us a brand new heart. I pray, Father, for your conviction and I pray, Lord, by your spirit that Jesus would be alive and real to them. God, I ask you that you would help us as a church in the days ahead to grow closer, to be more on mission, and to bring glory to Christ. That's what we desire. And and I don't stand up here as the person who's doing it perfectly. I just ask that you'd help us to do it more and better in the days ahead. Show us our next step. We receive it today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, amen, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.